Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. We are back. Happy Halloween, everybody. I'm joined by my co-host, Ronnie. Hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be back. And our co-host slash college football analyst, Rob. What's going on, guys? Keep it spooky. Let's get right into it. World Series, Dodgers win, beating the Rays 4-2. Let's talk about predictions that we made last time. I gotta say, my cursing powers, I did not know would be this powerful, guys. Sorry, Braves. I blew your 3-1 lead. I got too confident. We saw the Dodgers having too much momentum, being too good of a team, and making it to the World Series and winning it all. Big storylines from this World Series. Clayton Kershaw completing his Ash Ketchum arc, has been in the league for so long, and then he finally wins the championship late in his career. Sometimes you gotta train your Pokemon and get in level 100s before you take on that Elite Four, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) One of the biggest questions that we saw, Game 6, the deciding game, elimination game for the Rays, they had Blake Snell on the mound, dealing, five innings, one hit. He starts the sixth inning, gets an out, gives up a hit, and then he gets yanked at 73 pitches, even though he's been dealing all game long, and he's only allowed two base runners to that point. Kevin Cash pulls him. What do you know? The reliever gives up some runs. Was that a good decision? (laughs) 73 pitches sounds like a lot, but I know it's not. No. If Snell was getting shelled, like if he was getting knocked around at 73 pitches, yeah, you pull him. But Rays are so analytically based that the way they constructed their team, bullpen comes out a lot earlier than you'd see at most teams. If you have your ace on the mound for an elimination game, he's throwing at least 100 pitches. Like, no question. Especially, especially how well he was pitching. One hit, no walks, through five innings. He gives up one hit in the sixth, and you decide, now's a good time. Yeah, he's struck out all the guys who are coming up. Now Kevin Cash is just going to have to take the heat from the internet, man. You trusted your system. I mean, it got him there, but your system told you to pull Blake Snell. And, oh, man, he's going to be under fire for this for a long time. Some people have called that he deserves to be fired just for that decision alone. It's easy to say, like, trust analytics 100%, but that's kind of what the manager's job is, to adapt those analytics into what you see on the field. And if what you're seeing on the field is Blake Snell shutting down the Dodgers, why would you pull him? Unless he gives you a suitable reason. It was a one nothing ball game, too. It's not like they had a good lead or anything, and we're like, oh, we'll save him for Game 7. No, he was dealing. You don't take a guy with that kind of momentum out, especially in a game that if you lose, you're done. Game over, like series over. Of all people they put in, they put in Nick Anderson, who had like an ERA of six in the World Series. So the Dodgers have seen him a lot, and they've been knocking him around all series. Like he went five straight appearances, giving up a run. So you're going to put him in the highest leverage situation of the game that will determine your season. I have a lot of questions for Kevin Cash, but speaking of... The World Series, we have a fan question from Aaron in Houston. With the exciting end to Game 5, did Game 5 quote-unquote save baseball as people were claiming in terms of interest? No, definitely not. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if you're a baseball fan, you, you still enjoy baseball. And like it's like a good sport to like watch and, and you know it's great entertainment. Personally, no, I don't believe it saved baseball, at least not for me. I think saying like it saved baseball is 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 kind of a stretch. Baseball's gonna always be where it is. Like it's not the most hyped sport you can watch, but it's also definitely not the most boring. 
baseball is just trying to be in this middle tier entertainment level sport, and that's not essentially a bad thing. That's also not a good thing. The sport brings like occasional moments that are fun to watch and are entertaining, and they're memorable. But as a whole, Rob and I might agree. Maybe you too, Adam. But like this season with like a shortened season and like the bubble, and I wasn't that in tune with baseball. I I don't know. Yeah. So to say like game five saved baseball but kind of a stretch baseball will always be like a good pastime but i think what the biggest draw baseball has is its actual game day experience like going to the games that's what that's what'll save baseball like a good fan experience at the game not just like behind you know on the other side of the screen through a tv i mean we did see a lot i feel like we did see a lot more people tuning in to game six based on the ending of game five um i mean it was it's just one of those things where it just generated a ton of buzz and seeing something that exciting, that crazy of an ending, just the the mania that was going on. Something that is a classic based on the way the regular season happened. Uh, I think it, it is kind of a forgettable postseason. Um, but the World Series, I think th- this World Series was a solid series between two very good teams. It didn't feel very one-sided, and it felt like the team that deserved to win did. So I'm just a little annoyed that the Dodgers won it in six because I'm a sucker for Game 7. And we had Charlie Morton versus Walker Bueller, two postseason studs going head-to-head in Game 7, like set to go head-to-head in Game 7. And I was getting really hyped for that and really hoping the baseball gods would deliver. I don't think it necessarily saved baseball as a sport. Major League Baseball has a lot of work to do generating fan interest. They have one of the most rigid policies in terms of social media. Recently, they just put out a policy for players that they cannot post a picture on a social media platform of them in their jersey. Just huh. right. Major I League players are struggling to kind of get their brand out there to, you know, younger audiences. And that's how you grow in interest for a whole sport. So, yeah. I think baseball has a long way to go for that, but game 5 definitely generated some buzz about this series. Yeah, so I kind of think that we're approaching it from the wrong angle. Like, Game 5, clearly, one a single game wouldn't be able to save a sport. But I think what makes baseball so interesting is the long-term storylines of, like, players going from team to team, or managers. The, hi- the history, like, within the sport is what, like, drives baseball and still drives, like, the fandom today. The fact that they can't post, like, they have such strict, like, social media rules is definitely going to hinder that and, you know, because you're going to lose fans. Well, even when you're, like, a young kid and you're looking at picking up hobbies, this new generation is going to be looking to social media to guide them. And if you're not making your content that available to a general audience, then how would, how do you expect to generate any new fans? Because we're reaching the point where most of the baseball fans now are because the past generation taught them to like it. Like, I I love baseball because I grew up watching baseball because my dad was watching baseball. And then we went out to the baseball field, and then I grew to love that. As a league, they have a lot to do in terms of trying to get that younger interest into the sport. I think another problem with baseball and, you know, finding young interest is that the game has been optimized to, like, maximum efficiency. There's so much strategy that goes into playing the game to, like, if you if you aren't aware of all the little micro plays that goes on, it's going to be hard to you know build your own interest into the sport. 
shifting overseas, we're going to check out our Premier League table. Ronnie, what do you make of the current Premier League table with our top four as Everton, Aston Villa, Liverpool, and Leicester? The most shocking one out of those four has to be Aston Villa. Everton has been like middle of the table towards, you know, the, the top 10-ish. Um, so I'm not like too surprised. I am, you know, we've mentioned it in past weeks where they are definitely found new form under Ancelotti. Liverpool is Liverpool. Yeah, they've shown cracks. They've shown, you know, that their defense might be a little bit on the weaker side, unlike past years. Still, I mean, they're still scoring goals. Sadio Mane, you know, Salah, Firmino up top, they're still producing. I mean, um, they are without producing. Virgil van Dijk now. Yeah, he is out-out. We're going to see a, a few more cracks. I think Liverpool's going to struggle on that back line even more than they have. But I just still think that they're too strong of a team. Like, <laughs> it, it's Liverpool, right? You have, they brought in Jota. They have Jurgen Klopp at the helm. He's not going to let them completely, like, sink. And I, I don't see them doing that either. I just think with Van Dyke going down, them struggling, I think we could see, you know, these surprise teams, right? Like Aston Villa, Everton, potentially winning the league, right? Making a run, forcing these teams, these the, the typical top four teams, like, out of the top four. And we're going to see new teams like Aston Villa, Everton a little bit find this rise. Leicester kind of finding form again. I, I'm I'm interested to see, man. I think it's it's a it's it's a really good season. I'm curious as to how it's gonna keep going, but either way, I'm all for it. Like I think it's awesome, <laughs> honestly. So what's been more surprising to you that our top four is what it is right now, or Chelsea being ninth, Arsenal being tenth, Man City being thirteenth, Man U being fifteenth. What's more surprising, these up-and-coming teams in the top four or our usual top six struggling so much? I think more surprising would have to be the top six not performing, mostly due to the fact that, you know, their top six, the big names are big names for a reason. Man City is a big name. Man U, Arsenal, Chelsea, all these teams that, right, like a few weeks ago we were talking about the the their transfer windows they brought in especially Chelsea they spent like 250 million in the transfer window for them to be in ninth currently like that's just not a good not a good scene honestly I think it's more surprising that they've gone down than these new up-and-coming teams that's the truth well I mean Chelsea and Man City have have had a lot of new pieces that they're trying to integrate into their first team Chelsea they're a totally different squad than they were last season so they're trying to find their identity like all together but man city is really struggling i think that's the biggest surprise for me is man city struggling as much as they are they are not totally healthy on the scoring front uh, we're seeing aguero even when he's in the lineup he's not 100 percent healthy yet and they just don't look like themselves because they don't have that elite striker scoring goals for him they've played people like riyad Mahrez in a false nine role or raheem sterling playing the as, as a number nine. For them, since they had so many new defensive ac- acquisitions, it's going to take some time before they can really hit that stride, especially with the injuries that they've been dealing with. I, I got to say, Aston Villa, as surprising as that is to see them up where they are, I think I talked about how I really liked what they did with their, their transfer window. They, they picked their talent from the second league in English football. 
and that's a good way to transition players and help them flourish is you keep them in a system that they're used to keep them in a competition that they're used to and they just play a higher level and you're seeing a lot of guys flourish under that like ollie watkins so but a little trivia if you don't already know this ronnie um do you know could you guess right now today's Premier League leading scorer. Off the top of my head, I want to say Youngman Son. I know that he's had really good form. Yes, sir. He has eight goals so uh, far. That man has been a scoring machine for Tottenham. And if he's not on the field because Mourinho doesn't want him there, then I think he's losing his mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have Son off on the field. Oh, yeah. He has definitely been key to their current fifth place. Do you think you know who the lead assister is then? Um, I know he's been getting all his goals. Son's been getting all his goals from uh, Mr. Harry Kane, the center forward. Yeah, he has eight assists on the year. And it's weird. It's usually the other way around. But, yeah, it is. Harry Kane is leading the Premier League in assists. And I don't know if I ever thought I would say those words in my life. Hey, man, if you have one guy scoring goals and you got the other one feeding them, I, I don't think any Tottenham fan cares what name is on the back as long as it's their team winning <laughs> yeah i i also want to see uh gareth bale a little more he's had some europa league action but i want him to see i want to see him in the premier league because last time he played he was dynamo i'd love to see more of him i think they just want him to kind of get for him it's been more he was on real madrid's bench for so long that i don't think they want to throw him like on the pitch day in day out but i agree i mean Bale back at his homeboy club, it would be pretty great to see him playing more. Speaking of our European soccer, we have Champions League back. That was a really short turnaround. So let's talk about the biggest headlines from match day one and two from Champions League. Real Madrid, what is happening? They played without Sergio Ramos and got totally annihilated by Shakhtar Donetsk. Let's talk about that game in particular real quick. Without Sergio Ramos... We saw what their team is without him. And that's Rafael Varane trying to be, he's trying to be Sergio Ramos. And we saw last year with the several own goals and turnovers in the round of 16 that Varane is not Ramos. Yeah, it's Ramos is probably going to have a statue in a Real Madrid uniform somewhere in the Bernabeu. Like, that, that man deserves it, as much as I'm not a Real Madrid fan or a Sergio Ramos fan. But he's done so much for that club, and he is a vital part every year he's been on that team. From the moment he transferred to the day he retires, he's, he's a vital part to that back line, to that starting 11. And again, right, it's that same topic of, like, well, who's going to replace him? Because they're, you know, they're on their older years, and it's just trying to fill those shoes, and it's not going to be easy for... Varane or whoever it is that comes on. They do have to fill that role. They do have a 23-year-old in Eder Malacio, who they got from Portugal. He has promise, but Varane's not ready to be Ramos, and then Malacio's not ready to be ready to be Varane. We saw them struggle again against Bayern München Gladbach, and both both their Champions League matches they went down early and they had to scrape back for two goals late in the game they got to get ramos healthy first and foremost like that they can't win without him and he needs to stop getting red cards that's just the style of play that he does and don't get me wrong like as a soccer fan the way he defends and plays the ball is entertaining it reminds me a lot of carlos puyol who like will put his body on the line 
I don't think Carlos Puyo was one much to get cards, but unlike Ramos, but they're both very physical and like aggressive center backs that are going to put their bodies on the line. Ramos did separate Salah's shoulder in the Champions League final a few years ago. Hey man, as a former soccer player, you definitely have those type of defenders where it sucks, and I'm not, I don't advocate for like dirty-ish player, like as a defender, you have to be willing to hit them a little bit harder, make sure your presence is known as a defender, and this is coming, like I played forward. There were times where, like, I had to watch over my back for a defender because <laughs> I knew they were coming. Because I knew they were coming full speed at me. I think that's just the style of play he does. And, like, again, I'm not advocating for dirty or, like, hard, dirty play. It's just sometimes you have to be aggressive and you have to give that extra little body check, you know, while you can. And, and hit him with the hit the weight room, bud, as they're walking away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty specific, Ronnie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> times, like, you, it's a 50-50 ball, and I just get tossed, and I just kind of look, and it's, you know, it's the center back, and I'm just like, yeah, you have, like, 40 pounds on me. It happens. Believe me. All right, and the Champions League champions at their campaign, going for the repeat, they smack Atletico Madrid 4-0. Just dismantled them. And then they also won against Locomotive Moscow. Um, a little bit closer to one. Byron's looking pretty hot. What do you think, Ronnie? It looks like they have not slowed down. They're still in the same gear. Robert Lewandowski is still Robert Lewandowski. He, he gets better with age. He really does. It's kind of terrifying. Because he has not stopped scoring and or assisting. And they lo- um, they lost Thiago in the transfer window to Liverpool, and they still they haven't slowed their roll. Yeah, and honestly, like when that happened, I was like, oh, that's not that big of a loss. Thiago Alcantara has been really good for Liverpool, so I'm like, okay, maybe I was just too caught up on everybody else on Bayern that for Bayern not slowing down, it's just terrifying. So we saw two different menus in their latest match. They destroyed RB Leipzig, and RB Leipzig made it to the semifinal last year given that was a Timo Werner Leipzig, but dominated them 5-0 their last match. Match day one, they played PSG, the finalists. They outlasted them 2-1. to one. But Man U has the, we're good, not in our own country. <laughs> All our focus <laughs> is abroad. Honestly, that's that's the type of ball they're playing right now. Champions League, they're like, All right, we got this. Like We're, we're going to hold it up. Like We're going to hold up, and we're going to play really well. You hit them on the Premier League table, and like you mentioned, in 15th place. I don't know how that happens. I don't know where the inconsistency happens, but either way, if they're winning and they're beating PSG, beating by one goal differential is not a lot. It could have been, the scoreline could have been flipped, but... You know, if a penalty still, went one way you know, or another. Exactly. If a penalty... <laughs> hey, that's one thing that they're really good at, though, is uh, getting those penalties. That's part of the game, though. Holding, you know, surprisingly holding Mbappe, Neymar... And Di Maria and all those players off, surprised, to say the least. I really just can't get off the thought of, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Where is this in the Premier League? I'm sorry. It's just, I'm like, what is going on? I mean, it could just be they're getting more hyped for larger competition in their eyes. It could just be hype kind of thing in the locker room. You, you have a lot more buzz, a lot more adrenaline for Champions League soccer than you do for maybe domestic. Maybe you play down to your competition even in your own league. Or maybe the league is just yeah. getting better. It's strange. Hence the whole equalization of the Premier League table. Good point. All right, from one football to another, we're sending it off to College Football Roundup with Rob. What you got for me this week, Rob? 
Well, for all of our listeners out there following us on social media, you will recall that one of us was at a football game last weekend. I traveled up to Austin to see my team, Baylor, get completely trashed by UT for the third time in a row. After we trashed UT on the podcast. Yeah, I guess that was... uh, I guess they heard us. Just desserts, really. Let's see, where do we start? You know what, I'm not even going to talk about that Baylor game right now. Let's start with the most controversial game of the week. Indiana beating Penn State in overtime, and Penn State falling to 0-1 while still being number 18 in the AP Top 25. What do you think about that, Adam? We harped on the AP Top 25. Why is an 0-1 team still ranked? You have teams that have actually have wins. Their win percentage is zero, and now they actually play the games, and it's still zero. Drop them out. Kick them out. Went from 8 to 18. Get them out. You know, what's pretty sad about that game, too, I'm full of the sad. Penn State had a total of 488 yards to Indiana's 211, and they still lost by one point. To break that down even farther, Penn State had 250 yards on rushing alone. Indiana had 41. How do you lose a game when you're dominating in yardage? You know what I mean? Dominating the clock. How do you lose to a team like that? Hey, I mean, you can see just based off how the Dallas Cowboy fans are seeing it this year. (laughs) I think passing game is a lot more important than running game. And Georgia Tech can tell you that. Sometimes you really need that. That passing game is a, is a lot more important when you play really good teams. You got to rely on a pass if you want to convert a lot of third downs, if you um, you know stall out. Exactly. Passing but downs happen more often than rushing downs. That does make me question whether or not you know running backs are important into the game at all anymore. <laughs> um, okay, Mike Leach. <laughs> calm down there. <laughs> no, seriously, the air raid is like dominating football across all leagues right now. So the ending of Penn State-Indiana, overtime controversy with Indiana player reaching out for the pylon and tapping the very end of the centimeter of the ball, skinned the pylon, technically is a touchdown, and that's how Indiana wins it. If I won that way, it'd be so bittersweet for me, because like, I'm sure whoever wrote the rules of football, they didn't mean for that to be a touchdown. You know, it's kind of like the questions of, is it a catch or not a catch? It's like, generally, a touchdown is like getting in the end zone. You're telling me that if I take the point of the football and tap it to the end zone line, that feels like a touchdown? That's just splitting so many hairs. And I had an interesting thought that was sent to me was... A pylon signifies a touchdown, but it's actually set up out of bounds. It's kind of strange, right? That, like, if you touch the pylon, it's a touchdown, or if you, like, cross the pylon, it's a touchdown, but still out of bounds. Right. You basically can pull, like, a Vince Young and just, you know, throw it over and get a touchdown. Right. And I understand it's supposed to be, like, a plane. Like, the plane of the end zone, you touch the end zone, no questions, because I feel like that's the most definitive way you can rule a touchdown in terms of replay review and like really looking at it slow motion tapping a a little sandbag pole out of bounds marker for the end zone it just doesn't feel like a touchdown to me i don't know hey well it doesn't matter how you feel it's still a touchdown yeah i was about to say (laughs) what do you think about players opting out for their college football seasons I'd understand if you had a high draft stock and you really don't want to get injured or you're sitting out a bowl game or the senior bowl or something like that. Or you know just... who I do wish would opt out of football for the season? 
Charlie Brewer. <laughs> I've been saying this to anybody who listens to me. Charlie is not the guy. He's not the guy who's going to take us anywhere. He's not going to take us to the playoffs. He's not going to take us to a Big 12 championship dub. At what point do you just, you know, yank him out? You know, he started for the past, like, three years, basically. You yank him out, you put in Bohannon, or even Zeno. Bohannon, so he's dual threat. He came out of Arkansas. He was the highest rated dual threat quarterback coming out of that state. He was a four star. And all we have him do is sit on the bench or come in for like a wildcat play. And even then, like, wildcat's so cliche. Like, it's not even like a real play. Yeah, if they know he's coming in, they know it's a run. When you have quarterbacks like that, right, is you have your senior that you want all your eggs in one basket. Dual quarterback systems don't work. Just across the board, we can all agree that those systems typically fizzle out. They have their games, but you want to have your one guy that you can consistently rely on. In the case of Brewer and the quarterbacks that they have with Bohannon, Bohannon might not have the arm that Brewer has and that they want to push the ball downfield. And so there could be that trust barrier with the coaching staff. And with Zeno, he's not as experienced as Brewer, so I understand why they would still stick with Brewer. But Enough struggling, and you got to think, hey, where's the problem lie here? I think the problem with Baylor this time is they had four practices in three weeks, 19 days. They had four practices, and you're right. you're telling yeah. me they're supposed to have, be game ready? Hard to say that, especially with the amount of personnel changes that they've had with the amount of people testing positive. There's too much shifting to be able to say that they should have won against Texas. I don't know. At some point, I think you just need to start looking towards the future, especially since Baylor took the L against UT. Who's our next quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Bohannon or is it going to be Zeno? We should like definitely get some more playing time for both of them. I feel like Charlie's decision making has gone downhill over the years. He can pull out like a you know a crazy play, you know, a twenty yard run when we're like down fourth down or something like that, or like a bomb downfield. But like, it's getting more. It's getting few and far between the more games he plays. I would definitely like to see a backup quarterback coming in, you know, taking the reins for a little bit. I think they need to see more consistent personnel, especially from, like, their offensive line and even receiver core. Like, I'd be able to say more definitively if all the other pieces were a constant, but they're not. Everything's just shifting around for them, and I feel like they're just trying to scramble and make the best of what they have. For sure, for sure. I mean, that's all you have to do right now. That's Every team's trying to do that, you know, with all these COVID tests and everything. Apparently, this last weekend, there was an act of God. Bryce's kicker hit a quadruple doink off the goalpost. <laughs> what? Have you not seen the video, Ronnie? I have not. Oh, God, hold up. You know, it might feel an unearned touchdown for hitting that pylon with the ball and getting a touchdown that way, getting your six points. But it probably feels worse to hit a quadruple doink off the goalpost. You know, the ball's just bouncing all around that goalpost just for it to bounce out and then call it no good. But <laughs> Like, what are the actual odds that you can hit that kick, hit the side goalpost, hit the bottom of it, then hit the other side of it, then hit the bottom of it again? Not only most insane physics going on, but that was for the win in overtime to start Rice's season. Oh, my God. So many emotions. Just right? <laughs> At that point, I would honestly consider quitting football to pursue other things. If that happened to me, no. I don't know what I, I would trust me. That if you're be... kicking at Bryce, you're not your biggest priority isn't football. <laughs> <laughs> great academic school, great academic school for sure. Man, 
how is Indiana Penn State touchdown a touchdown? And then that it was good. Like we should give him at least like two points for hitting yeah, it give, four times. Give him a point and a half. Right. Conference champion predictions. Ooh, this is gonna be interesting. So I'm gonna start with the ACC. Who do you guys believe are gonna w- take the ACC? Clemson. Clemson. That's it. Yeah. That's uh, it. I'll, I'll I'll be the dark horse, bro. I'm gonna say Notre Dame is gonna take the ACC. I would love to see. Uh, I've always had reservations about Notre Dame. Oh, bro, they disappoint, but. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's hope they don't this year. I remember the national title game between Bama and Notre oh, Dame. Man. We all know how that went. Horribly. That wasn't even television at that point. It was just a stomping. So, Clemson, they're just too good, man. Like, Trevor Lawrence is just fine. Nothing's wrong with him. He's passing the ball like he he's going to get drafted next year. No ACC defense is going to hinder, like, Trevor Lawrence's play. Absolutely That's not. Sure. And I don't think Notre Dame. Notre Dame might be the best competition for him, but no way does Clemson lose to them. What about Miami? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Ronnie, I'm assuming you agree Clemson as well. Yeah, dude. Uh, they've been too good. Trevor Lawrence are still under center. It's too good. It's not They're even just Trevor Lawrence. They have a crazy defensive line, bro. Yeah, they always do. They always have four or five stars on their front four. All right, next up, the Big Ten, otherwise known as the boringest league in uh, college football. Who do you think will win, Ohio State or Ohio State? I you already answered it, man. Not Penn State. <laughs> nope. I mean Minnesota, low key might make some noise. I like what PJ Flex doing. Me too. I hope they do. Row the boat. But I, the it's Ohio, it's it's Ohio State's conference to lose. I mean, More according to, to win, right? Yeah, according to the AP poll, Ohio State's already the the <laughs> conference champion of that uh <laughs> of that conference. Big Twelve. This one's definitely going to be, I think it's going to be the most interesting, like, championship race, because all the big players already have L's under the belt, so. It's definitely the closest, that's for sure. Right now we have Oklahoma State leading it as the only undefeated Big 12 team left, but there's just something about Oklahoma State that I don't trust 100%, and I'm going to go, let's go Kansas State for this year. They just made a quarterback change a couple weeks ago, and Howard is balling out. And you know what? Shout out all you Kansans, Kansasans, Kansans, Kansans, Kansanites. Let's go Wildcats. Do not sleep on the Wildcats. The Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas, baby. Oh, man. I, I really do like that pick for Kansas State. And I, too, would have gone with Oklahoma State if, it, if they didn't give me that weird feeling that, like, something's going to happen, you know? It'd be like uh, entrusting the Big 12 to, like, Texas Tech. Like, sure, they might be able to do it, but I wouldn't put my money on it. Ronnie, who you got? You know, typically, of course, like, you want to say you're, you're OU, but, uh, yes, I don't think Spencer Rattler's the guy right now. Yeesh. I don't know, man. I'm so used to the, the Big 12 being dominated by, what, UT, Texas, or UT, UT OU, OSU occasionally. TCU here, You know, man. I actually would like to see TCU do really well. Why? Their quarterback, their quarterback's a baller, bro. You said that, but they lost. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they lost, but, man, watching their quarterback play is very entertaining, dude. He's really good. <laughs> he makes things happen occasionally. 
Alright. I'm gonna see. Give him a couple years to develop. Rob's a traitor to Baylor, apparently. Bro, Baylor betrayed me already by losing to UT. So. There you go. <laughs> I was I was low key on that bandwagon for Iowa State, and I mean they're they're they've only have two losses. I don't think I don't think the Big Twelve champion this year is gonna have is gonna go undefeated. Oklahoma State's gonna lose. Whoever wins is gonna have at least one loss, if not yep. two. Like that's just the truth. Hey, I'm pulling for Kansas State though. <laughs> <laughs> you think they can go? I they think they're probably the out? most competitive team besides maybe Oklahoma State right now. Next up, we have the SEC. Uh, Bama? <laughs> yep, check. No. Moving on. There's, there's no way, dude. There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way, dude. They're going to lose the, the one SEC fan every year. It's not going to be Bama this year. All the, all the mid-tier SEC schools are knocking each other out. So, yep. it's just Bama's Georgia, for the taking. I mean, at this point... Ooh, it's, if A&M could pull the upset against Alabama, that'd be pretty huge. I mean, at this point, it's more... It's kind of out for Bama a lot. Who is Bama going to play in the conference? Because we know Bama's going to win. Yeah. We just don't know who the who the team in the in the conference final against them is going to be since... Georgia you know my pick? You know my pick for the SEC East? Vandy. They're going to turn, <laughs> turn it around next week. <laughs> Isn't a team to be slept on right now. They're kind of, they're kind of making some waves. So we're not even gonna go too in depth with SEC. Everyone thinks it's gonna be Bama. Don't even worry about that. But if Bama does take the SEC, do we have another Clemson Bama final? Yeah, I'm calling Clemson Bama. If if I had to put money on anything happening this year in a year of craziness, I would put my money on Clemson Bama. I would too. But you know. Having so many Clemson-Bama finals really makes me question whether or not we should have even moved to a college playoff. It needs to be eight teams. Eight teams, too. That's a lot of football, man. <laughs> I mean, no. What about six teams with two teams with a bye? With eight, you could do... It's a lot less splitting hairs when you're talking about the fifth seed when it comes to championship decision committee. Yeah. Splitting hairs on the fourth and fifth seed is way greater than trying to split hairs on an eighth or ninth seed. There's a lot less on the line in that sense. Yeah, I would love to see eight teams, five from Power Five, and then three at large. And three at large. That, that's where you give it to UCF. Let them put their money where their mouth is. If only. I'm kind of leaning back towards like the bowl format, BCS, BCS. bowl series. Yeah, yeah, the bowl series. Where they just choose the championship outright. Let, let the computer decide, dude. Just run through the program. <laughs> dude, the computer is what the a- is allegedly what the AP Top 25 is. I'm not buying it. I don't it. know about that. I'm not buying that at all either. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rob, for that college football yeah, roundup. No Appreciate it. All right, moving on to professional football. We got NFL Week 7 to recap. We have an insanely close race in the NFC West with the Cardinals showing up this year with newly acquired DeAndre Hopkins. And they just recently beat the Seahawks in overtime. And then we have the Rams who seem to get over their slump from last season as well. Ronnie called that. Even the 49ers are last place, but they made the Super Bowl last year. So NFC West looks super fun right now. A lot of good football to watch. <laughs> it's weird in the NFL how you have certain divisions that are just all four teams are firing on all cylinders, and then you have other divisions that no teams are firing, not even on, like, one cylinder. Are you thinking about a but, division uh, in particular? Um, do I even have to mention what division <laughs> we're talking about? I think at this point everybody knows we're talking about the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the Philadelphia Eagles. 
and the New York Giants. It, you know, the Daniel Jones clip of him falling, tripping and falling short of the end zone is the division in one just short video right there. Just that is the NFC East. It's just Daniel Jones falling short of the goal line with no one around him. Turf Monster getting the best of him, man. Yeah, that with is the, the NFC East. With the Eagles in the division lead right now at 2-4-1, and one, I think mathematically uh, the division winner of the NFC East could technically go 4-12. and 12. Since that is a possibility, I think they should just take one of the teams from the NFC West and put them in the playoffs on whoever wins the NFC East. Like, just ignore the division winner from the NFC East. Hey, Cowboys fans, do you hear that? We still have a chance. (laughs) It's tough to watch any of these teams play, and this is coming from a Cowboys fan. Right. It it, it almost feels like it's a battle for picks more so than it is a battle for making the playoffs. How do you feel about that, by the way, like tanking for picks? I mean, it sometimes work at, works out if you do it right. <laughs> hey, you know who apparently is was uh, pretty surprising in terms of like how well they did? Justin Herbert, Chargers. Yeah, he has been tearing it up. I am. Uh, maybe he, he's Oregon. always had a big arm. He's played in that West Coast offense in the Pac-12 with Oregon. I, I'm I'm a little shocked at how well he's developing, and he lo- he looks like a stud. Oh, hell yeah. I feel bad for Tyrod Taylor, though, losing his job again. He's just one of those journeyman quarterbacks who just loses his loses his starting job to whatever rookie they draft. Hey, that, honestly, backup quarterback's not a bad gig. You wear a headset, you don't get hit. You get sideline tickets to football games. You get paid. You get paid to watch some football. Yeah, honestly, not a bad gig. You know, that's what that's what Andy Dalton was thinking until he got a concussion. So yeah, yeah, until that was a, no, that was a very dirty hit. Yeah, I'm surprised Joe Bostic did not get suspended. It is a very dirty hit. It's just that's what Andy Dalton thought. You know, mm-hmm. the eject, ejecting from a game is. I think he. I've seen hits less than that that they've received suspension time or fines at least for that. But speaking of struggling, <laughs> the Jets are currently on track for the number one overall pick, tanking for Lawrence. And they currently have Joe Flacco at their helm, and their head coach, Adam Gase, still has a job. Surprisingly. All their superstars want out of the team. Example Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams. They just don't like what's going on. And if you like winning, I guess, yeah, I'd have a problem with that, too. And I don't understand how we saw Dan Quinn get fired after a Falcons out 0-5 start. We saw Bill O'Brien get fired after their 0-5 start. And then Adam Gase still in control at 0-7. What, what's happening with the Jets? You know, people like to uh, make fun of Joe Flacco, but if Madden has taught me anything... Boy, Joe Flacco can throw some fire checkdowns. Yeah, exactly. He, I mean, <laughs> at this point in his career, he was just there to back up Sam Darnold. And then Darnold gets benched because he's playing so poorly and seeing ghosts. Flacco's not going to win you a ton of games because he's even when he was in his prime, he was checked down Joe. And yep. if that Super Bowl year that he had never happened, like if the Broncos knew how to cover that bomb downfield in the AFC title game, then I don't think we're talking about Joe Flacco as an elite quarterback. It's always been a question, but I don't think he ever was. was. Like, back in the day, I don't think anybody even, like, has that on their mind. 
Oh, no, absolutely not. So with an 0-7 start, I'm surprised the Jets are still behind Adam Gase. They just released Le'Veon Bell, getting nothing for him, and he signs with the Kansas City Chiefs, which makes them more scary. <laughs> Jamal Adams got traded to the Seahawks, and he's enjoying his time there. And it's like, well, okay, so you're telling me that the stars in, on the team want out. They're losing games. He doesn't have the locker room. He doesn't have wins. So what is Adam Gase doing for the team? How do you justify keeping him around? I don't know if he's trying to get Lawrence that bad, but he's doing a great job of it. I'll give him that. So now it's time for our hot take segment. Speaking of the horrid NFC East, hot take. After his game-winning drive against the Giants, Carson Wentz is still an elite quarterback. That's hot. I don't think you can be considered elite and be as inconsistent or still a question mark for your team. Elite means you're going to be there week in, week out, producing, taking your team to wins, not just coming in and I know the game-winning drive, whatever. I think we use the elite word for quarterbacks really quick. Like, Carson Wentz had one good year, and we're going to label him elite. Joe Flacco led him to a Super Bowl. He's elite. It's like, elite is... Is not a word we give a third of the quarterbacks in the league. Elite is like the top five. This is an insanely hot take. I've never thought Carson Wentz was an elite quarterback. He's played like an elite quarterback, but no, he's been missing throws that we've seen Josh McCown make. They've been questioning him this season as a starter, let alone an elite quarterback. And yeah, he led a game-winning drive. Well, that's what a good quarterback does. An elite quarterback would make sure you're never in a situation when you're down by seven against the Giants. I don't know. Do you think, okay, do you think a losing team can have an elite quarterback? Can you qualify a losing team's quarterback elite even if they are putting up, like, yard, like stats? Yes, because it is a team sport still. The Eagles, I mean, they are injury-ridden, but they're not so terrible to where Carson Wentz, he just doesn't look elite right now because the Eagles are bad this year. It's like, no. He's missing throws like 10 yards off, and receivers are damn frustrated with him. This week, yeah, he had a good game, but I'm not ready to put the elite title, slap it back on there. It's like, no, it's it's not a bumper sticker. Like, elite quarterback should mean something, but we throw it around so much. You know, it's like GOAT. We give GOAT to anybody who has a decent performance in the playoffs. We should really reserve that word for people who are really the top tier of that position. Hey, man, I would have given that rice kicker the word goat if instead of it going out, it would have gone in. <laughs> All right, next hot take. After the Dolphins beat the 0-7 Jets 24 to nothing, the Dolphins announced that they would be benching Ryan Fitzmagic in favor of the rookie Tua Tagovailoa. Dolphins should not have done that. Nah, bro, don't believe in the magic at all. Ryan Fitzpatrick has led too many teams astray. They give him to it, they, give, they sign him for more like years, give him, give him the money, and he just completely just chokes it. I He's been on some pretty terrible teams, to give him some credit. I guess, yeah, he's been on some terrible teams, but I will never give in to the Fitz Magic hype. So this year, they should not have benched uh, Fitzpatrick. I mean, based on their locker room, apparently guys are just, like, loving Fitzpatrick. Like, as a leader, as a mentor, and... Like, even starters like Kyle Van Noy, their star linebacker, he's behind Fitzpatrick. And they were around 500 right now. They're not the Jets. So, they're benching Fitzpatrick off a 24 to nothing win? 
I feel like that's a little unwarranted, and that's a really good way to lose a locker room. You're riding high off of this win, and you're saying, okay, now we want to put the young guy in because that's the reason you're here is because you were just playing until Tua was ready. Well, why not just let Tua continue to sit behind Fitzpatrick until Fitzpatrick struggles, and then you throw Tua in? It doesn't feel like they have a good reason for putting Tua in. I feel like that's just a good way to, to lose that morale. Yeah, and I definitely agree that you don't just throw in a developing quarterback after, you know, a 24-0 win over the Jets. You know what I mean? No, I don't trust in Ryan Fitzpatrick, but, you know, throwing Tua in to start, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea either. I just don't understand the mentality of, like, he's brought us a win, so let's take him out. Like, that just doesn't make sense in, in any kind of common logical sense in any sport, like, Unless it was like an ugly one, maybe, but not twenty four to nothing. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah, like it, it sounded like they didn't struggle to win twenty four to nothing. Yeah, I'm on kind of. I kind of agree with Rob. I don't think Fitzpatrick Fitzmagic is like the most consistent quarterback. I guess to be on your team, like as a starter. But if he's winning games, I don't really care who the start. Like I don't care if your name is Tua or Fitzpatrick or Tom Brady. Like if you're my quarterback and you're giving me wins, as a fan, I'm not going to be complaining. As a coach, I don't think I'd be complaining much either, but clearly there's some sort of disconnect. As a fan, it's like, if he's producing wins, he's giving my team, you know, dubs, why is why are we going to take him out? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I think it's it's a, it's a mistake a little bit. Yeah, it's just it's just timing, you know? It, it just feels very ill-timed. You take out Fitzception when you're not believing in them anymore. If you have your locker room believing in them, you have the rest of the team believing in them, it's just a sour taste to, to bench a guy riding high. And then he felt like, in, in an interview, he just seems so defeated. And a guy who's, t- who's been the guy who passes on you know, the, the starting role to the younger guy. He's done that a ton of times in his career. And he said this was one of the few times he felt like this was his team. That this was actually like a really really sad time for him of he lost the starting position for his team that's just a great way to lose your veteran leadership in the locker room and i hope it doesn't blow up in their face because dolphins have struggled enough in the past decade man making me emotional about fitzpatrick (laughs) dude that beard is gonna like weep the beard's gonna weep (laughs) (laughs) next hot take manchester united is good at winning those penalties especially late in games they deserve the nickname Penchester United. 14 penalties received led the EPL last year, 22 in all competitions. That, dude, that is a lot of penalties for Manchester United to draw. Football 365 analyzed this, and they took a look at every single, all 22 penalties to try to see if there maybe was ref favorability. They objectively state that five of those were undeserved, which, that's not a bad clip. If you're a ref, it is very bang-bang, and VAR helps, but... Sometimes it's not the right decision. Do they deserve that nickname, Ronnie? Here's what I'm going to say. And, and I'm trying to keep a level head. And it's not because like I'm a Man U fan or anything. I'm looking at it more as like a soccer perspective. Penalties are part of the game. Like Whether you enjoy them or not, or think they're unfair or not, like whatever you may believe, like they are part of the game. I know the higher up you get in soccer, like the pro level... Believe it or not, as silly as this sounds, 
there's times where I've run drills on, like, how to win a penalty. I, I know that sounds silly. Essentially diving. Right? Let's just call it how it is. <laughs> and it's kind of, like, part of the game. Yeah, some argue that it's, you know, it's not playing fair, that it's, you know, dirty, cheap, whatever. But if it's part of the game and it's going to give your team an advantage because you realize that, hey, my left foot is weak, so maybe instead of trying to shoot it with my left foot, I might try to cut back and have the defender bite and then, you know, take the penalty. That, to me, that's a, that's just a forward being strategic. That's just being smart in the situation you're in. Now, if it's, you know, a one-on-one with the keeper, I promise you, I myself, at least speaking, I will take the shot 100% of the time, 99.9% of the time. I'm not going to try to play, you know, the penalty or whatever. It is a strategic part of the game, and I think that's what a lot of fans kind of miss a little bit that it's hard to score a goal when you have the goalie, uh, the back, the center back, and then you have the left back on you as a forward, and you have no realistic angle to shoot where you have a decent shot. It's part of the game. Is the name warranted? Fine. You know, they have the stats to prove it. They're just playing their game, and they know how to end in positions where they get, you know, fouled in the box, and they win the penalty. And you have Bruno Fernandez, one of the best penalty takers right now for their team or any team in the Premier League. So if it's leading to it and it's helping you win games, only five of those out of the 22 are undeserved. That's still, you know, that's still majority of them are deserved penalty. Like they are supposed to be penalties. So I cannot blame them for earning so many penalties. That's the, that's the simple truth. You can't knock a team for hustling some penalties, right? I mean, look at the NBA. You wouldn't like. You wouldn't say something about a team that, like, you wouldn't say something about a team that draws, like, a ton of penalties. Rockets. Sorry. Rockets, yeah. That came out. <laughs> but, like, it's part of the game. And if only, five out, if only five out of the 22 are undeserved, like, that's totally fair. I mean, sure, you, you can call them Penchester United, but it's still part of the game. They're just playing, like, their way, you know? I just really hate teams that they play that strategy of we play a draw until the last five minutes of the match, and then we're just going to dive everywhere. And that that's where kind of like soccer gets that reputation of, of these guys aren't physical. They're just flying all over the place trying to anytime they get touched so they, they can get penalty. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of of that opinion. But at the same time, yeah, it's part of the game. You should learn as a defender how to prevent it. But five, five penalties were undeserved. That's a lot. I don't care how many were analyzed or how many they had. Twenty-two. That's not a bad clip, but for refs, but five undeserved. That means five were just straight up flops. That's five goals in the season, and in those scenarios where you're going to Champions League or missing Europa League based on a few wins, if those change the game, that's so that's so garbage. I just feel like it's it gets such a bad rep, like basketball. You know, we keep going on like it's part of the game, but in basketball, it, it happens, what, 30 times throughout the game between <laughs> yeah, different true. players? There's times where, you know, I'm like, okay, if someone, you know, kind of hit my hand, like, grazed it when I went for a layup, to me at least, it wouldn't completely throw off the layup, right? But again, it goes down, it comes down to a foul is a foul, and if there's contact made, it's a foul. And I think that's what, as someone who's played soccer and I even refed it in college for a little bit, like just intramurals, I would always just be like, at the end of the day, a foul is a foul. Whether you like it or not, 
if it is a foul and it's a soft foul, hard foul, it's a foul at the end. Of the- it's across the board, an illegal play, an illegal infraction, and I had to call it just as equal as if you ran at him and like double cleat up into his leg. Yeah, I'm, I might give you a red card for that compared to like a yellow card, but I'm still gonna deem it an infraction, right? Like yeah. it is a foul. Yeah. So, and I think that's what that's why I get such a bad rap sometimes. And yeah, don't get me wrong. There's times where I'm like, oh my god, like I can't believe they won the penalty kick, and like you see the replay, and it's like no contact whatsoever, and you're just like, well, uh, yeah, those are bad. It does lead to such a big change in the game, because like you said, a one goal difference wins wins you the game, right? Well, in basketball, two free throws in the second quarter might not be the thing that changes the whole game. Now it's time for our favorite headline from the week. What you got for me, Ronnie? Continuing the Barcelona saga, Joseph Maria Bartomeu, the president, has resigned prior to a fan-held election. So, like, basically stating he thinks it's time for him to step down and that it's time for someone else to take the reins and lead the team in a new direction. On top of not just him resigning, the whole board of the club is stepping down alongside Bartomeu. They're going to hold an election in the next 90 days. So we'll have a whole new president, whole new vice president, and just an entire new board for Barcelona. So it's about to be quite the, the change-up for the whole club management-wise. If it's for the better or if it's for the worse, we'll have to wait and see. Before we sign off, I just thought we'd give Rob a little bit of time to talk about one of his projects that he's working on. On the side of this podcast, you can find me at twitch.tv slash TV, and there you'll find some high-tier Overwatch gameplay playing in the top 1% of all players. Overwatch is a competitive esports video game. I've been playing it for the past four to five years. I've been playing it since it launched. If you want any updates on that, you can find me at rob.rs.up on Instagram. Give a general idea of what I'm going to be streaming that day. So I am planning some variety streams, you know, with other games with, you know, friends like Golf with Friends, Assassin's Creed, Odyssey. You know, just really what I'm feeling on that day. And you can, you'll find out what I'm about to play on my Instagram. Be sure to go to twitch.tv slash TV for Rob's Twitch stream. Common fan commentary is available on Spotify Google Podcast, Podomatic, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for any updates on the podcast. We also post questions there. Thank you so much, Aaron, for your question today. We will see you guys next time and have a happy Halloween. Peace. Peace.